Hello, Monetization Nation. Today, I'm joined by Tyler Lassard. Tyler is the VP of Marketing and Chief Video Strategist at Vidyard, a leading provider of video technology solutions for business. He's the co-author of The Visual Sale, host of The Creating Connections Show, and a frequent speaker on topics ranging from video marketing to customer experience. Thank you so much for having for being on the show with us today, Tyler. It is an absolute pleasure to be here. Thank you so much for the uh, the warm welcome. I'm excited to dive into the conversation. So, can you start off by sharing with us something that you are super passionate about? Oh well, you know, beyond uh, video, which is kind of the obvious thing given my role, and we're going to talk a lot about that. Um, I'm going to flip over to my personal life. I'm a father of four uh, youngish kids. They're between the ages of six and 14. And, nice. um, you know, I'm obviously very passionate about them and about being a father. Um, and it's actually really fascinating having young kids these days to see how quickly things are changing in today's digital world. And I feel like I have my own little like focus group of like, where is the world heading in the next little while as a marketer and as a salesperson? So that's kind of where a lot of my passion lies today. We tell us your biggest failure, your biggest mistake that you've made in your career and what you learned from it. My biggest failure or mistake, um, I'm going to be one of those people who, who says that, you know, I don't think I've made any big, big failures, but one of the um, one of the things that I, I, I learned from in my career was, uh, it's actually partway into my, my role here at Vidyard. So I started uh, at Vidyard about seven and a half years ago as, uh, as, as CMO. And when I joined the business, it was about 30 people. It was an early stage startup. And I brought in, you know, a good amount of, of knowledge and expertise and, and helped to build the organization up over a few years to, you know, hundred plus people and, and growing in the market. Um, but I hit a point and I'd say, you know, this at the time I felt was like a failure where I honestly, I, I got out of my, my depth of expertise. You know, I hit a point where I hadn't grown a business or a marketing team, you know, through the next phase of where we needed to get to. I didn't know what to do next to help us get to that next milestone. Um, and I struggled for a little while trying to understand, do I need to hire somebody to help me in certain areas? not quite sure what that needs to be. And I ultimately decided to take a step back and worked with our CEO and said, you know what, I think we need to bring somebody in who's done this before and who's gone through this phase. And we together hired in um, another CMO that then acted as a mentor for me for um, you know, about a year and a half. And so I took a step back in my role. I focused in on areas I was passionate about while learning from this individual. Uh, eventually they got us to the next point we needed to, they moved on and you know, I, I expanded my role back again. And so it was, a, it was actually a really good lesson learned about the power of taking a step back sometimes, one step back so you can take two steps forward a little bit later. I love that analogy and that story. And, and that's amazing. The self-confidence you had in yourself, the, the lack of pride and arrogance that, that you were able to, to step back so that you could learn and get where you wanted to be. Yeah. Tell me about the greatest home run you've hit in your career. Well, you know, that uh, I would probably go back to my earlier days of my career. I'm an engineer by trade, uh, despite the fact that I'm a VP marketing today. I graduated from my engineering program at the University of Waterloo, which is where I live now. I'm based here in Canada. And I started my career uh, back in 2001, 20 years ago at uh, BlackBerry. 
Now, for those of you of the younger generation listening, it's not a fruit. It was actually the original smartphone uh, and a full sort of, you know, mobile solution for, for businesses. And it was an incredible experience. I spent a decade there. Um, I started off in their developer support team. Uh, I ended up moving into a more proactive role and actually building out a developer relations and partner program. And as part of that, that really accelerated my career into taking on business development and marketing functions as part of building out kind of a, a global developer and partner program. And it was an absolutely incredible experience. And, you know, I, I look to you know, I think it was a, a lot of doubles that I hit along the way. I'm not sure I can find one home run, but it was just sort of this, you know, consistent, real commitment and, and sort of passionate investment in what I was doing there. Um, you know, working with lots of other people in the business to, to grow personally and to grow my career. And, uh, and ultimately, it was a big shift moving out of my life as a developer into running an actual business and marketing team. That was something that was quite frightening at the time, frankly. But, uh, but I feel I did a great job of it and I uh, stuck around for quite a while building on a, a global ecosystem. So that was a lot of fun. And um, I think overall that those 10 years were, you know, uh, really set the stage for the rest of my career. Talk to me about BlackBerry for a, a bit, because yeah. BlackBerry is a company that did a great job of leveraging this tectonic shift to the mobile smartphone, but then, then they weren't able to sustain it. Yep. Can you talk to us a little bit about success, how they successfully leveraged the tectonic shift yeah. and then maybe how they didn't leverage the next tectonic shift? Um, yeah. Why was it that they didn't sustain yeah. the great thing yeah. they did? It was so interesting. I mean, it was really, uh, you know, again, a life experience to, to be a part of it, both the ups and the downs. And, you know, in the, in the early days, what really set BlackBerry apart was its obsessive nature over the user experience and you know to the point where like everybody in the company just lived and breathed you know in a given day can we do something as small as it needs to be to improve the experience that the users of the products have and so in the early days of the smartphones um well, there were big challenges technology-wise to actually creating a really good experience because in the early days, it was either a phone or a data device. And there weren't really very many any good merged devices that could be a phone and a data device. The tech wasn't quite there where you could have long enough battery life to be always on with your data, but also still have you know, enough battery to power a phone call. And so a huge part of the focus was how do we build the technology to create a, you know, a long enough battery life experience so people can do data and voice at the same time. So their overall experience is top notch. Um, how do we optimize a keyboard at the time? Because it was largely an input style device as opposed to an output style device. There were all these things that every team literally across the company focused on a day to day of like, how do we keep um, obsessing over the customer experience? Now, what was interesting was that got us to a certain point, but then um, you're right. There was a, a miss in terms of the, the sort of evolution of where the technology was going. And I think one of the challenges was holding on for too long of the belief and expectation that what got us there would continue to take us forward. And we missed the shift in the shift of what people would be expecting. And that was largely a shift from the device being an input device to an output device, right? The way we use iPhones and Android devices there's a reason it's a large touch screen and a big, beautiful screen. A lot of what we do is browsing and consumption and 
game playing and things like that, as opposed to, you know, and short messaging. Um, and I think in the early days, there was an expectation of these would still primarily be email centric devices, you know, games would just be sort of a secondary thing. Um, and there was a bit of a miss in that sort of next shift in the marketplace. And it's hard to catch those, right? It's easy in hindsight to say, oh, we missed that. Um, but it's something as a business, again, not only do you have to focus on the customer experience, but you always got to be looking ahead one to two years and thinking, where do we need to take them as opposed to, you know, where are they right now? Okay. And video is video marketing is one of the top eight tectonic shifts on my list. Um, would you, I mean, that's your expertise. That's what your book's yep. about. <laughs> would you talk a little bit about why do you believe video yeah. is one of the big, and video, specifically video marketing is yeah. one of the big tectonic shifts that we're dealing with today? Yeah, it's, uh, it's been a really interesting, you know, seven years, frankly, that I've, that I've been here at Vidyard. If you go back, let's call it, you know, five years uh, or so, three to five years, even the, um, you know, video was still a pretty coveted medium. It was still relatively expensive to produce. It wasn't, you know, second nature. Most companies weren't creating it in-house. It was largely reserved for larger budgets, working with an agency, you'd produce a few videos a year for big promos, and that's what video meant. Fast forward to today, um, and a bunch of things really changed over the last few years. Number one is the accessibility of video from a creation standpoint. We can all create videos now, right? Every one of you listening or watching right now, you are a video creator, right? It's ubiquitous, right? It is. It really is. Right? The, the democratization has happened. And it's, you know, we've all got the smartphone with the, you know, ridiculously good cameras in them now. We've all got webcams we're using on a day-to-day -day basis. Um, the, the, the editing tools are like, for those of you who aren't, you know, using any video editing tools to do simple things, 30 minutes on YouTube watching a video and you got it. Like they're, 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 it's, it's actually become really simple. My 10 year old and 12 year old and 14 year old kids all do basic video editing now. So it's become democratized in terms of the creation. And that's been a big part to saying, oh, wait a minute, instead of just doing a highly produced video for a promo campaign, um, if we believe that video is a great way to educate our audience or to explain our products or to, you know, create more emotional resonance with this message, we have the tools around us and the people around us that can create them. So that's no longer the barrier and we can do it without any budget. We can do it in house. Um, so that is number one, it's become hyper accessible and democratized from a creation standpoint. The second thing that's happened is from a channel's perspective where we typically distribute our videos, they have all become almost a video first by nature. Social media channels, for example, have been heavily favoring video content for the past couple of years. For a number of reasons, it's good for them, for their, um, for their own monetization. And so, you know, we see time and time again where you share video content on social media networks and they just outperform other, other uh, mediums. So the channels are showing a preference for video. And then the third piece is the expectation of the audience themselves. And more and more we're seeing people that are, are simply expecting multimedia content as part of their consumption patterns, whether it's B2C product research, whether it's B2B, um, whether it's promotional stuff, whether it's like, I want to see a customer story, I want to learn about this topic, more and more of a resonance with video and audio content, as opposed to just static text. So you put those three things together and you say, as a business, I can create it at greater scale. 
from an audience perspective, they're showing a greater preference for it. The channels are there that I can deliver it and they're actually showing a preference for video. It's kind of this perfect storm to say, oh, right. Like we'd be silly not to do this, but it actually makes sense to start to think about almost like a, an overinvestment and to start to test it out and to learn about it as a, as a core medium. So I think all those things coming together are making it a really important part. And actually the fourth leg of the stool, I'm gonna to go to the stool analogy now. The fourth leg is what we talked about earlier is this digital first friction-free world where as people are consuming more and more content on their own time, in their own digital environment, if you will, video is the one medium we have that creates a real personal connection with our audience, that shows transparency, that actually lets them meet our people, that creates more trust, is, feels more authentic, right? In the absence of them actually saying, phoning up and saying, hey, I'd like to talk to a sales rep or doing a live demo or something, video is the face of our brand now in a digital first world. So that's kind of the fourth leg. You've got, I can create it, the audience wants it, the channels prefer it, and it's my best way to build a relationship in the digital first world. Are there any disadvantages of video content and how do we watch out for those, if so? Yeah, um, um, for sure. And we don't want to, you know, I will, I will never preach that it should be all video by any means. Um, the, the real win in today's business world is a diversity in content formats and, and so on. And so there are lots of cases where, you know, text-based content makes more sense, where images, where audio, where video, but we have to get adept at all of these. Um, the, you know, some of the, the drawbacks and challenges with video, one is that it isn't as skimmable uh, format as other content, right? So text or things like that, we can kind of skim, get the gist and move on. Whereas a video is a linear playback format. As a result, we have to be more respectful of our audience's time and be really conscious of the message that we're delivering. And a lot of that comes down to, you often get the question of like, how long should my video be? I always hear like shorter is better. And often that is the case, um, you know, but it depends on what you're making of course, but that's, that's that sensitivity to saying, I really need to be conscious of the time. And it, can I say it in three minutes or even two minutes as opposed to five or 10 minutes? So that's a really important part of it um, when, when you're doing video. Um, the other is that, and this is one of those like double-edged things where it's a benefit and a drawback of video is that it is, I mean, it's literally a window into your personality, your brand, your, your, um, your kind of, kind of a face of your company. And so when you do treat it right, it amplifies your brand in so many great ways. It makes you more approachable, makes you more memorable. It stirs way more emotions. You can draw on humor and things like that. But on the flip side, if you don't do video well, it can amplify almost the negative side of, of a brand, right? If you're like boring, if you're like reading a script into the camera, if, you know, there's all these things that if it just feels like, oh, they didn't even like, what's that? There's laundry in the background. Like there's all those little things that can happen. And so, you know, we want to be conscious of that and say, how can we really lean into making this a front face of our brand that draws people in and leaves them with the impression we want to leave them with? I can see that I would, I might want to use text so that I can show up higher in Google search results, but it, it seems like video is showing up more and more in those search results. Can you talk to me a little bit about the SEO implications and any advice you have for us with SEO and video? Yeah, I think part of today's uh, SEO strategies uh, is absolutely having both uh, kind of text and video 
parts of that strategy. Um, you know, I mean, I mean, text-based content absolutely is still the hero of, of SEO. Um, however, when we do search, you're absolutely right. There is both in the main results, we see more and more video-based results. And if somebody clicks on the video tab of the results, they're going to see just video content there. So you've kind of got two things you're trying to accomplish there. One is, can you rank as high as possible on the video results tab, which is going to be great for you. Um, and secondly, is are the videos you have or the pages that have your videos going to rank well in those main search results? And so there's a bit of a dual strategy there. Um, what a lot of businesses will do, you know, YouTube is a big part of that. So they'll do additional SEO research on YouTube itself to look at, hey, what are the keywords and search terms I want to focus on for core results? But then also, what are do I want to focus on for YouTube results? Because the keywords and search terms that rank well on YouTube might be different from the ones that rank well on the main web. Um, and so to do that, you actually want to go into YouTube and there's different tools that you can use to look up, you know, hey, there may be search terms or keywords you could own on YouTube that you can't necessarily own in the main search results. And you can say, great, we're going to create videos that focus on that topic. And we're going to try to own the top video spots for that search term. So that's something that we can all be doing, um, you know, more and more as we uh, as we think about that dual strategy of, of mixed modes of content for SEO. A lot of the businesses that I've worked with, they have not done video because they feel they don't have the resources and the expertise to do video. It feels like, yeah. at least in their mind, there's a much greater barrier of entry than I think there really is. Can can you talk about that a little bit? What yeah. What can, what can businesses do to kind of get over that barrier, get over that hump and, and start being video producers? Yeah, no, you're, you're absolutely right. It is. I think for a lot of people, it's an artificial barrier today to getting going with video because they, 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 they don't feel like they have the right people. They're not good storytellers and these sorts of things. And um, I, I think we just, we really need to start moving past that. It is, uh, I'll, I'll do my shameless plug. A big part of the visual sale is actually talking about creating a culture of video where it's like, we need to get to a point where it's just as easy to create and share a video as it is to write and post a blog post or to, you know, create a presentation, you know, to create a video and share it. We all need to get to that point as individuals in business, as well as, you know, marketing teams and sales teams. And we're not going to get there without just practice and making it something that we build muscle memory for. And, you know, it's, it's uh, easier said than done in many cases, but I think a lot of people are, are very hesitant to, to get going with it. Um, a couple of things that really help with it. Uh, and again, there's a lot more in the book. There's an entire set of chapters dedicated to creating a culture of video. But one, um, one thing that helps tremendously is having an individual in the company or within certain teams that do have video capabilities. They don't have to be a professional producer, but somebody who is you know appointed or anointed as the kind of lead on video, who's there to help the others. They're not necessarily just there to produce and create the content. They're there to help and mentor others around the teams. Now, yes, they'll often be the one people will go to and say, hey, I need this video. Could you make this for me? Hopefully they can, and that's part of their role. But just as important is that they can go back to that person and say, well, actually, let me teach you how to make that video, right? Let's, let's do a couple fun things together. Like, hey, hit record. Let's just, you know, do some... And, and, and those people can help others get more comfortable on it. The other thing is using video more and more internally if you're not comfortable yet doing it externally. And that's where you can build your muscle and uh, feel a little bit less self-conscious about it because it's not something that's going out to the rest of the world. 
And what I mean by that is not just doing like Zoom calls. I mean, recording and sharing videos internally, it could be as simple as, you know, recording a message with your webcam and sending it off to a colleague to ask them a question. It could be instead of an upcoming meeting where you're going to spend a bunch of time walking through a presentation, record a screen share with that presentation, walk through it, send that video around to people. Um, it may be doing a fun little walk and talk uh, for your team next time you want to do an update. And even those little things just start to build up your confidence and your muscle memory with making short videos. And it's something we can all be doing. Uh, and I think once we're all a part of it, it changes how the overall team thinks about it. And it just becomes second nature, just like writing content. Okay. Could we talk about a couple of stories, a couple of case studies of companies that have done a good job leveraging video in your book and you tell the story of Loyola university oh, yeah. and, and how they were able to spike their enrollment. Would you share that with us? Yeah, that was a, a really fun and interesting one um, where they, they were one of, of, of many actually in the space. And, but, but if you, if you think about a university, they have um, a point in time that's really important for them as a marketing and as a business, frankly, which is uh, basically student recruitment and acquisition. So um, just like the rest of us, uh, we're trying to get customers, they're trying to get students. And if they don't hit their enrollment numbers, then you know, it's, a, it's, a, it's, a, it's, a, it's, a, it's a crisis for them. So they have a lot of pressure to recruit those students. Now, they, um, they had found that more and more of the students they were, were trying to recruit, they had seen through the data that they had greater affinity to engage with video content more and more over the years. And so they actually did an amazing campaign as part of their recruitment where they created a really fun, interesting video that was actually built to be a personalized video, which meant that when they sent it out on mass, it would actually be personalized with each student's own name and information in it. So it felt like it was made Love just that. for them. And it was a real surprise and delight moment. And so they used this at the point of um, acceptance. So they had a certain number of students who had applied and then they go back out and say, hey, you've been accepted. But then the student has to come back and say, yep, I'm in, right? And they have a certain drop off there. Well, they sent all of those students that they had accepted a personalized video where they saw like, you know, it was footage of like the dormitory and their name was up on the, the door of a dorm room. And then they open a, a notebook and they already see like, you know, Nathan's notes written in the book. And it had this real surprise and delight moment. And the engagement that they saw in those videos were just off the charts. You know, I think they, they sent it out to like 10,000 students and had probably 15 to 20,000 views because the students watched it. Then they shared it with their friends and were like, check this out. This is amazing. Um, and they had record enrollment numbers that year. So they, you know, they saw higher than normal percentage of those students actually accept and enroll. So it's just one example of like where you can be a little bit creative, create that personal connection way more than just a traditional communication and use video to surprise and delight and, uh, and create that emotional response. Tap into their passion. Yeah. And, and that personalization where, where they know you made it just for them evokes a passion because it shows people that we cared about them. They weren't just a number in some bulk spam that we sent out. It's very powerful. Thank you so much, Tyler, for sharing your stories and insights with us today. Here's some of my key takeaways from this episode. Number one, as a business, we should focus on the customer's current experience while also looking one to two years ahead and watching for major tectonic shifts. Number two, video marketing has become one of the most important tectonic shifts we can leverage today. Number three, video creates personal connections with our audience, shows transparency, creates trust, 
and feels more authentic. Number four, with video, we should be respectful of our audience's time. We should also be conscious of the key words we use to help our SEO. If you enjoyed this episode and want to connect with Tyler, you can check out his book at thevisualsale.com or visit his website at tylerlessard.com. And there's links to each of those sites and the blog post for this episode at monetizationnation.com. You can also get my free ebook about passion marketing and learn how you can become a top priority of your ideal customers at passionmarketing.com. You can also subscribe for free to Monetization Nation on YouTube, Instagram, Twitter, our Facebook group, and on your favorite podcast platform. Thank you so much for joining me for today for this episode, and I wish you success as you tap into the power of video. Do you want to become a better digital monetizer? To receive great monetization stories and secrets, please go to monetizationnation.com and join free. And if you liked today's episode, please subscribe to the show and share it.